Chapter Sixteen, Part Two of Three Men and a Maid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. Three Men and a Maid by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter Sixteen, Part Two. In the moment which elapsed before either of the two could calm their agitated brains to speech. Eustace became aware, as never before, of the truth of the well-known line, Peace, perfect peace, with loved ones far away. Eustace! Mrs. Hignett gasped, hand on heart. Eustace, there are men in the house! This fact was just the one which Eustace had been wondering how to break to her. I know, he said uneasily. You know? Mrs. Hignett stared. Did you hear them? hear them said eustace puzzled the drawing-room window was left open and there are two burglars in the hall oh i say no that's rather rotten said eustace i saw and heard them come with me and arrest them but i can't i've sprained my ankle sprained your ankle how very inconvenient when did you do that this morning how did it happen eustace hesitated i was jumping jumping but, oh! Mrs. Hignett's sentence trailed off into a suppressed shriek as the door opened. Immediately following on Eustace's accident, Jane Hubbard had constituted herself his nurse. It was she who had bound up his injured ankle in a manner which the doctor, on his arrival, had admitted himself unable to improve upon. She had sat with him through the long afternoon, and now, fearing lest a return of the pain might render him sleepless, she had come to bring him a selection of books to see him through the night. Jane Hubbard was a girl who, by nature and training, was well adapted to bear shocks. She accepted the advent of Mrs. Hignett without visible astonishment, though inwardly she was wondering who the visitor might be. "'Good evening,' she said placidly. Mrs. Hignett, having rallied from her moment of weakness, glared at the new arrival dumbly. She could not place Jane. She had the air of a nurse, and yet she wore no uniform. "'Who are you?' she asked stiffly. "'Who are you?' countered Jane. "'I,' said Mrs. Hignett portentously, "'am the owner of this house, "'and I should be glad to know what you are doing in it. "'I am Mrs. Horace Hignett.' "'A charming smile spread itself over Jane's finely cut face. "'I'm so glad to meet you,' she said. "'I've heard so much about you.' "'Indeed,' said Mrs. Hignett. And now I should like to hear a little about you. I've read all your books, said Jane. I think they're wonderful. In spite of herself, in spite of a feeling that this young woman was straying from the point, Mrs. Hignett could not check a slight influx of amiability. She was an authoress who received a good deal of incense from admirers, but she could always do with a bit more. Besides, most of the incense came by mail. Living a quiet and retired life in the country, it was rarely that she got it handed to her face to face. She melted quite perceptibly. She did not cease to look like a basilisk, but she began to look like a basilisk who has had a good lunch. "'My favourite,' said Jane, who for a week had been sitting daily in a chair in the drawing-room, adjourning the table on which the authoress's complete works were assembled, is The Spreading Light. I do like The Spreading Light.' It was written some years ago, said Mrs. Hignett, with something approaching cordiality, and I have since revised some of the views I state in it, 
but I still consider it quite a good textbook. Of course, I can see that what of tomorrow is more profound, said Jane, but I read the spreading light first, and of course that makes a difference. I can quite see that it would, agreed Mrs. Hignett. One's first step across the threshold of a new mind, one's first glimpse. Yes, it makes you feel like some watcher of the skies, said Mrs. Hignett, when a new planet swims into his ken, or like, yes, doesn't it, said Jane. Eustace, who had been listening to the conversation with every muscle tense, in much the same mental attitude as a peaceful citizen in a Wild West saloon, who holds himself in readiness to dive under a table directly the shooting begins, began to relax. What he had shrinkingly anticipated would be the biggest thing since the Dempsey-Carpentier fight seemed to be turning into a pleasant social and literary evening, not unlike what he imagined a meeting of old Vassar alumni must be. For the first time since his mother had come into the room, he indulged in the luxury of a deep breath. "'But what are you doing here?' asked Mrs. Hignett, returning almost reluctantly to the main issue. Eustace perceived that he had breathed too soon. In an unobtrusive way he subsided into the bed and softly pulled the sheets over his head, following the excellent tactics of the great Duke of Wellington in his peninsula campaign. "'When in doubt,' the Duke used to say, "'retire and dig yourself in.' "'I'm nursing, dear Eustace,' said Jane. Mrs. Hignett quivered, and cast an eye on the lump in the bedclothes which represented dear Eustace. A cold fear had come upon her. "'Dear Eustace,' she repeated mechanically. "'We're engaged,' said Jane. "'We got engaged this morning, and that's how he sprained his ankle. When I accepted him, he tried to jump a holly-bush.' "'Engaged, Eustace? Is this true?' "'Yes.' said a muffled voice from the interior of the bed. "'And poor Eustace is so worried,' continued Jane, "'about the house,' she went on quickly. "'He doesn't want to deprive you of it, because he knows what it means to you. So he's hoping, we're both hoping, that you will accept it as a present when we're married. We really shan't want it, you know. We're going to live in London. So you will take it, won't you, to please us?' "'We all of us, even the greatest of us, have our moments of weakness.' Let us then not express any surprise at the sudden collapse of one of the world's greatest female thinkers. As the meaning of this speech smote on Mrs. Horace Hignett's understanding, she sank weeping into a chair. The ever-present fear that had haunted her had been exorcised. Windles was hers in perpetuity. The relief was too great. She sat in her chair and gulped, and Eustace, greatly encouraged, emerged slowly from the bedclothes like a worm after a thunderstorm. How long this poignant scene would have lasted, one cannot say. It is a pity that it was cut short, for I should have liked to dwell upon it. But, at this moment, from the regions downstairs, there suddenly burst upon the silent night such a whirlwind of sound as effectually dissipated the tense emotion in the room. Somebody had touched off the orchestrion in the drawing-room, and that willing instrument had begun again in the middle of a bar at the point where it had been switched off. Its wailing lament for the passing of summer filled the whole house. "'That's too bad,' said Jane, a little annoyed. "'At this time of night—' "'It's the burglars!' quavered Mrs. Hignett. In the stress of recent events she had completely forgotten the existence of those enemies of society. "'They were dancing in the hall when I arrived, and now they're playing the orchestrion!' "'Light-hearted chaps,' said Eustace, admiring the sang-froid of the criminal world full of spirits. This won't do, said Jane, shaking her head. 
we can't have this sort of thing. I'll go and fetch my gun. Don't murder you, dear, panted Mrs. Hignett, clinging to her arm. Jane Hubbard laughed. Murder me, she said amusedly. I'd like to catch them at it. Mrs. Hignett stood staring at the door as Jane closed it safely behind her. Eustace, she said solemnly, that is a wonderful girl. Yes, she once killed a panther, or a puma, I forget which, with a hat-pin, said Eustace with enthusiasm. I could wish you no better wife, said Mrs. Hignett. She broke off with a sharp wail. Out in the passage, something like a battery of artillery had roared. The door opened, and Jane Hubbard appeared, slipping a fresh cartridge into the elephant gun. "'One of them was popping about outside here,' she announced. "'I took a shot at him, but I'm afraid I missed. The visibility was bad. At any rate, he went away.' In this last statement she was perfectly accurate. Bream Mortimer, who had been aroused by the orchestrion, and who had come to see what was the matter, had gone away at the rate of fifty miles an hour. He had been creeping down the passage when he found himself suddenly confronted by a dim figure which, without a word, had attempted to slay him with an enormous gun. The shot had whistled past his ears and gone singing down the corridor. This was enough for Bream. He had returned to his room in three strides and was now under the bed. The burglars might take everything in the house and welcome, so that they did not molest his privacy. That was the way Bream looked at it, and very sensible of him too, I consider. We'd better go downstairs, said Jane. Bring the candle. Not you, Eustace, darling. Don't you stir out of bed. I won't, said Eustace, obediently. End of chapter 16, part 2 Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org